You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey investors, Bradley here, and I'm so excited you could join us today on our podcast. Today, I'm sharing with you an interview that I just did with my good friend, De Niro B. Now, he is the host of the Up Your Game podcast. I know they've had um, some awards and stuff on iTunes, but they're actually changing their name to the Remote CEO, and uh, he's actually announced that on our podcast today. So I was so excited to be able to interview him. He's an online entrepreneur, a business coach, and an amazing content creator. If you're not following him, you're going to want to. Uh, and in this interview today, he asked me a little bit about the state of the market, and a lot of these uh, questions were unscripted in that it really comes out of the things that I'm seeing going on in our marketplace. But he also asked a lot of questions relating to what I'm noticing in my business, what I'm noticing um, dealing with clients and how the coronavirus and the absence of being able to see people face to face has impacted my business. Uh, so any of you who are investors or business owners are not going to want to miss it. Check it out. Um, now, I wanted to ask you a bit more about uh, the situation in the market in, in, uh, in the Toronto, but in worldwide. What do you think the uh, repercussions from an economical standpoint, an economic standpoint are going to be looking like after coronavirus when it comes to rents, uh, when it comes to home prices, and why these changes will occur? So I... I am in a unique perspective of this because I research it a lot. And, uh, and so this is why when I, I mentioned earlier, it's a very timely form of information. Like this needs to come out weekly. Things are being changed weekly and on the global stage too. Now, I'm not going to say I'm an expert across the world. However, I have looked at what other countries are doing because that is often the leading indicator of what we're going to do here. So when we look in China, which was the first hit and had several months of history, we've seen in certain areas that sales dropped up to 90, over up to 95% in certain areas when there was the lockdown. Uh, a lot of people were relying on virtual tours and, and all these things and these apps that um, out of a country like China is leading edge on those things. And people just weren't eating that up. They weren't, it wasn't enough to fill the void of people physically seeing, even though there's a, a vast number of investors. So on the global stage, what we've seen uh, and what we are actually seeing in Toronto now, um, I, I uh, levels that I think people didn't think was going to come. Uh, I think our the second half of last month's sales were down something like 30%. I think it's going to go more. Um, now, I am seeing waves of people that are trying to take advantage of the opportunity, but then there's risks in all of that too. So I, I would encourage people before they do anything to to ask people that are on the ground because things change a lot. They change very fast. But from a global perspective, generally, I think the consensus is you're going to have a reduction in sales, a big reduction in sales, uh, meaning so the number of transactions that happened versus last year. But on the price perspective, it becomes one of two options. Uh, first option being if we can get this thing wrapped up by before the fall, that's the way I see it. If we can get before the fall, you get generally in a typical real estate market, you get a spring and a fall uh, jump. If we can get this going before the fall, I think you're going to have an enormous fall relative to last year where people are all coming back because in specifically in Toronto and from what I can see in a lot of places around the world, like in the United States, there's a, there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of demand that still exists. We're not in a, a real estate specific issue that we saw in 2008. Real estate's not the, the centerpiece of the concern. Um, what the concern is and what risks there that do exist would be in a prolonged scenario of this, everyone being in isolation. 
people losing jobs, uh, GDP growing, going down quickly. Um, if the economy begins to go down, not just what the stock market is saying, because if any, I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in what it does. Stock market's been a little funny um, in that it doesn't reflect what's happening in the world. And a lot of that has to do because governments are concerned about what I'm saying right now, which is if we do have an economic crisis where people don't have an emergency benefit, they don't have um, subsidies for their income from their employers, and they don't have bailouts for big companies that they work for, you're gonna, you could have a situation similar to 2008, but in this case, it was man-made. It was artificially created by isolating people. Um, and I don't think that's the, the plan, but could it happen? Possibly. And, and those are the investors I find that are waiting. But more likely, I'm finding that there are people who um, are very optimistic, at least in our marketplace, and I think around the world, that what things look like six months ago will continue six months from now. Um, but then, of course, you always have those doom and gloom preppers, if you will, that are looking for opportunities. But in a marketplace that has grown by 10% since October 2019, um, even if we had a dip in prices, it, it doesn't put you ahead. So, so I think people recognize uh, if you want to be in a good marketplace, uh, not to read the headlines, but um, to look for the opportunities. And when you've got a buyer market temporarily in place, I think some of my big investors anyways are using the opportunity. As far as rent, because you did ask about rent as well. Yeah. Um, I'm actually hoping, I'm hoping to have uh, people come on my podcast as well to talk about um, bigger investors that have many properties and I'm interested to see how are they responding because a lot of them, um, when they, I think you have two types of investors. You have people who have a rainy day fund for each property. Like for me, anytime we've got a property, we've got at least 25,000 sitting on the side, just as a backup. If anything happens, no problem. So when I go and see people that are on Facebook making comments that, that essentially say, if you don't pay me my rent, I can't keep the house. I'm going to need to sell it. Um, yeah, you're putting all these freezes on, but it's at the end of the day, if you're an investor and you're dying in six months on, on lost rent, I don't know why you were in that in the, in the first place, or you just didn't really do the calculations. Maybe you, you over leveraged your property. So I think people need to be smarter. And, um, and so from a rent perspective, I don't like, um, if I, I don't like how strong the positioning is at least locally in favor of the tenant and to the detriment of the landlord, I'd like it to be a little more lax, but given how it is at the same time, I do see landlords should have, um, as business people, they should be prepared in a way that someone who is maybe working nine to five and is dependent on that income, they should be able to weather that storm better. So I also understand why that was made. So, yeah. um, from a rent perspective, at least here, um, we're seeing rents because of supply, the, the supply of rents going up, things like Airbnb, for example, uh, a lot of those there's, there's talks of them coming, uh, onto the market in Toronto, we've got, I think, 6,500 Airbnbs that could potentially change over. Um, and so as that happens, um, as long term, these are short term rentals that no, right could, now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that could switch over. And uh, I've even seen Airbnb in some articles pushing for um, wanting to get into the long term rental space, because I think they see that too. So so from a rent perspective, from a renter, the rents are going to be better than they've been, at least in our marketplace, because of the supply that would come in and the supports that are being given by, uh, by the government. So, mm -hmm. Better meaning like lower prices for yeah, the renters? Yeah, at least here. At least here. Again, I can't speak to other cities, but I know I would assume Vancouver would be very similar, um, just knowing the Canadian market. And uh, anywhere where you've had historically people in, in very tight areas, um, and I would think this would carry across many countries. 
you, uh, you are naturally getting Airbnbs and short-term rentals that are saying, screw it. Um, maybe this isn't as profitable. All the money we thought we were making the last two, three years has actually been lost this year. So if this did happen again, I don't know if I want to, I want, I'd rather that security. And, uh, and I think that that's what's happening. So I think it's good news for renters. That's, that's the, the short yeah. of that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, we, we have a few properties as well here and I read a lot of headlines, especially in the Toronto area. And there was a movement going on, something about like not paying rent. Uh, so some renters, especially in uh, in the downtown area, a bit in the West End, Queen West, for people that are in the area, but for people all over the world that are listening to the podcast, it's basically downtown. They were saying that they didn't want to pay rent because they didn't have enough money to do so. Do you think that uh, you know the government should have done, or governments in general should have done a better job at helping both? You were saying the renters as well as landlords or do you think that the landlord if as you said like you should just be you know doing the math correctly before you invest instead of instead of uh just relying on the government so the, i don't i don't hold it against our governments in fact i think there's been like a 10 percent improvement in in ratings and polls for pretty much every leader around the world except for the united states and, and which is ironic because he was actually doing well. And then it kind of seems to have gone away just because of some of the comments that have been made. But generally in times of crisis, leaders are given a praise. They're given a thumbs up. And I think that's happening here anyways. Um, and I don't disagree with the decision simply because if you look around what everyone else is doing, uh, everyone is leaning in favor of keeping people in their homes. If you're in a rental, we're going to keep you in your home. If you're, if you own the property through mortgage deferrals, Maybe the mortgage deferrals is a little bit of a, a weird thing. A lot of them have made adjustments and that's getting better too. But the idea is to keep people in your house at any cost, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that is also a reasonable thing to expect for tenants. And that's why I think that decision was made. Now, are there people scamming the system? The website you're talking about, I think is called keepyourrent.com. Uh, um, I looked up their social platform. There's thousands of people following them on, on social media. And uh and from some of the numbers I've seen, I think um, Vancouver recently did a study and they saw, I think it was 20 to 30%, I think it was 20% um, where there would be people holding rent back. And in the United States, I've heard as much as 20, as 30%. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing anywhere from 20 to 30% of people locally here as well. And I mean, that number I think is a, for as of this month, as of the beginning of April, having withheld. Now we don't have numbers yet as of today, but uh, as those come out, um, people might get a little more bold next month as well. And, and so I think it's, it comes back down to the relationship you have with your tenant, even though the message is so strong in favor of the tenant. I think if you have a reasonable conversation with someone, um, I think you can get through it. And at the same time, although today you can evict someone, I think, and this is part of the uh, keep your rent platform. There's, there's information on their website that in, um, informs people. Um, on how to go about uh, preventing an eviction. Because although today evictions are frozen, that doesn't mean in three, four months from now, evictions won't, that door won't open up. And when it does, what will that look like? So just because you think there's an opportunity to withhold rent doesn't necessarily mean it's the wise decision to do. Um, but people are, of course, looking for opportunities. And if you're going to give free money, why not? I mean, I am a real estate agent. I'm a successful real estate agent. But in this window of time, even I'm getting money. I can't even believe it. Like I qualify for an emergency benefit. I've been paying into this system far too long and I never would even assume I would qualify for anything. I've just accepted the fact I don't. And so because my income has been severely affected, I do. And so it's a bit of a weird thing, but 
at the end of the day, this is why government exists. In my view, I, I prefer a non-government intervention. The, the lower the intervention, the better. And I've thought that long before I was a successful entrepreneur or self-employed person. I've always thought that. And okay, maybe not always, but I, in my adulthood, I've thought that. <laughs> and, uh, and so from now on this side, this, in my opinion, is what government is for. If you're going to take people out of their work and we're going we're gonna to make a decision to do this, we need to at least protect what was here before. And this is what's going to allow us to rebound better. If, we, if the government was to leave everybody hanging, you're out of work, this is, would immediately turn into a big issue. So the confidence that I have is because of the response of government. And I think people have the same view, which is ultimately why the ratings are higher in the polls. That's very true. That's very true. Listen, I want to do a complete 180 now, and I, you already know this, but I will announce this as for the very first time on my podcast that I'm rebranding the podcast from Up Your Game to the Remote CEO Podcast. It's going to be a podcast for stressed out freelancers, solopreneurs, and everybody that has a business that wants to have more free time, make more money, and be able to be the CEO of their own small business. Now, with that said, what I really wanted to ask you right now is during this coronavirus situation, you say that you're, now, you're, you're basically at home, I'm assuming, most of the time. How are you dealing with uh, running your business remotely or like how do you deal with clients? Are you booking viewings for showings for the future? What, what do you do right now uh, to make things happen even during the crisis? Yeah. So that's a great question. So in my perspective, so as a realtor, I am a self-employed individual. So there is a lot of parallel businesses to what I do. There's a lot of people that have clients that were ready to go that got canceled and pulled back. Luckily I didn't have any trips or anything. So it's all business centered. Uh, we've got a baby coming in June, so that'll be a little bit of a weird thing, but I think everyone's been put aside, right? Like it's, it's just a normal, it's, it's just, we're all in this together in, in that way. From me, from my business perspective, I had a number of clients. Obviously, the spring is the best months, right? And, and mm -hmm. all of that has been deferred. The question is, is how long? I've had, it was really interesting because things didn't just shut off overnight. I found that it was probably over a two week that I had the first people pulling out, of, like not wanting to do deals. And then um, you turn to the next batch of people and the next batch of people. And there's different reasons that people aren't doing it. And, and the big one being their, um, their jobs, their careers. The next one would be, which would affect their loans and their, their applying for something. The next one would be a fear of the economy, fear of the prices going down. So the instability and the insecurity, that's what's kind of pushing some people. And then the last one being people aren't comfortable buying something, not seeing it. I don't want to be going in houses as much as possible. I would rather, I've told my clients, until we have a firm deal, we can have it conditional on viewing a property. That's actually a new thing that's come in our marketplace historically, when you've listed a property, one of the deals of that whole thing is you have to allow, it has to be accessible for viewings. You can't market mm -hmm. a property if it's not and put it on the multiple listing service. Now they've made an exception to that. So you can actually put in an offer having, and, and list, you can actually list a property having never put it on or allowing people to come take a look. Um, so that's changing the way we've done business. And it is, there are people out there. There is that, like when we say it's, you know, even if it drops 75%, there's still 25% of people who are seeing as room where there was multiple offers before they've stopped. So you've got, there's a window here, but you also have to be comfortable putting in an offer on a home you don't see. And some people aren't comfortable with that either. So I would say out of probably 10 to 15 clients that I'm servicing recently, or that are very much on my radar in the short term, I would say I'm now down to two or three 
that are still thinking about what they want to do and how they want to approach the situation. And even they're cautious. So of course my, my income has been affected. My clients are all just in a holding pattern, the mortgage industry, the lending industry, interest rates going down, um, the, the shakeups with subsidies, people getting laid off. And then all of a sudden there's a 75% subsidy and people getting rehired. Like there's just so many questions. Even if you are hired, will you be hired in a month from now when your property is going to close? Will the buyers that purchase your property still be able to afford it if the values do go down 5% and the bank won't fund that? So all of these question marks are conversations that I'm having with clients just like this. I have a call later on this evening at 6.30 with clients that we had actually put in an offer and uh, we, they had a, the deal wasn't good. So we ended up leaving that deal, but they were very active clients and I'm calling with them again to see where their heads at, fill them in on a constant basis. You can put out content, but at the end of the day, it's only good for two, three weeks. Beyond that, any content I'm producing that's going to be out three weeks from now needs to be very broad. And so we need to get, so, so, but that doesn't mean people need, don't need to be updated on a weekly basis on what are the latest changes and how it would affect them personally. So I like to think there are people, especially people that are considering the market that have someone like myself or someone who's familiar with the market, maybe in a parallel uh, within the industry, but in a, a parallel business. So maybe mortgage brokers or, or just people, government officials, someone that knows kind of what's going on. And I like to think that everyone has someone like that, but there's a lot of people that don't and they just kind of, they, they just will wait. And, um, mm -hmm. and so I would say if, if you've even considered like, at least figuring out what are the opportunities right now, just ask, like ask, get a feel for what the market's doing. I gave, I've, I've said a lot here. Um, but like, again, this changes so quickly, new things happen all the time. And so you want to be in the know, especially if you're a, a savvy investor, or maybe you've, if you've got properties, generally you should know some of these things, but a lot of people, they'll just, because it's such a passive form of investing, a lot of people will just sit on their hands and ride it out. And um, that's okay. But I, I do think knowing what's going on will lead to the opportunities. So, yeah. cool. Let me ask you the way that you structure work because, of course, you work remotely. So, I was just wondering how you have your team set up. What do you do? Because last time I spoke to you, you were doing most of the content on your own, you had a videographer. But um, what is happening right now in your business and how you're organizing all the moving pieces uh, without going crazy, basically, because you are the CEO of your company, right? Yeah, and, and I, I think the, the um, setup that you have coming down the pipes and, and encouraging people and guiding people into getting support systems in place is huge because I... I I, and actually, I remember in our last podcast, I admitted to you that I had been doing this content myself for probably a year and a half before I even considered outsourcing anything. And that was a killer because every week I am preparing the content, sitting down, putting on a dress shirt when no one is around, and then recording. And um, all of that just to put out a video once a week that could have been done. Maybe I could have done two, which seems so easy, right? Like you could have done two videos, but instead you did one. So now next week you gotta do it again. It's so simple, but it's like, you want to be relevant. You want your content to be perfect. You want like, you just get so preoccupied in the grind of everyday creation of content and interacting with clients that you lose sight of what about the me of next week? What about the me of the following? And so that was the journey I was on when we last spoke and, and figuring all that out. So today, um, now this didn't happen overnight, but over the last year or so, we've been able to, I was able to batch my content. So now, right now I've reduced it a little bit. So I'm doing about four or five videos ahead um, in a good, I've actually gone as much as I think seven or eight ahead. 
um, in a market mm. that's a little more stagnant where you can do content that's a little more outside the box that things don't move as fast. But when they move quickly, obviously, um, you need to be on, on point. Um, I've had, I've hired someone who does my uh, video editing and uh, the thumbnails, like all the pictures that kind of pop up over top of the videos. And um, so I essentially create the content, which I'm, I've even wrestled with, hey, is there a way to outsource that? That's kind of my baby. That's a little, that's one I'm a little scared of, but I mean, this is the process. <laughs> yeah. um, and then cr filming, obviously getting my face on there um, and then writing the bios or the, the blogs that go with them. And then from there, I'm pretty much done. So the video gets edited for me and then it gets sent to another person who uploads it on every social media platform. And it's given me some room to try new things. Like recently I've played around on TikToks and had some fun on that. I think it's kind of fun. And uh, just giving me some more free time, you know, with my family, I'm not so stressed out. Instead of having two or three days a week that are dedicated to creating video content and taking away from clients and everything else, now I'm able to, you know, give me an extra day. I can do four or five days, but now I'm working one week out of five weeks, um, which has been very helpful, especially in a market when things do pick up. Like when the spring comes around, I don't want to be running around doing videos because I need to be working with like working on the clients that I've generated through these systems. Um, some of the other things that we've been playing around with lately and uh, it kind of comes in waves, right? Cause we'll do, we'll create the video content for a week. And then the following week, now all of a sudden we're free. So that's where becoming an entrepreneur kicks in, where it's like, do, how do you spend that free time? I think a lot of people today have free time where they were working for an employer and they just don't know what to do and they're taking advantage in their pajamas all day. But that is a skill that entrepreneurs have developed because this isolation thing is different, but it's also similar um, because it's something we're used to. And so that challenge of getting that motivation that's where that kicks in. So then that's when you start creating things that are outside of your daily grind, which I wouldn't have been able to, but now I can, I've opened that up. So yeah. one of the things I've recently done is I wrote out, um, uh, an ad like, uh, and actually I was talking with you a lot about it too. And, uh, thanks for your help. It's like figuring out like what systems can we use to do these types of, um, online things. Cause I'm not like, I am, I'm young and I understand online technology, but I'm, I'm definitely not on the cutting edge. So I'm trying to apply from experts and then applying it to a business that's typically a hands-on tangible business. We're face-to-face, -face, right? And we're trying to, mm -hmm. we're trying to make it work. So one of the things we've been creating is um, this. Uh, um, so you, what you do is you, you see us, we'd pop up and be targeted ads on Facebook or Instagram. And then we would give them uh, emails daily that would drip, that would uh, share with them tips on how to invest and some of the really cool things. So it would be one freebie, then you get five on the go. And then just kind of the, what would be the sale pitch would essentially just be, um, I, I've kind of wrestled with, do we give them like a course? Um, uh, but more likely it would just be a meeting at this point. And we're kind of creating that system with like, how do you start from now? And that would be specifically to people who are looking to get into first time investing, uh, in Toronto, which is my market. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so, so like little things like that. Um, but day to day where we're doing video calls. I've been using zoom. I started using zoom before uh, a lot of people. I think it was a week or two before I was just kind of getting familiar with it and being able to do calls. And I think people realize how easy it is now. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's fine. The question I was going to ask you is that, you know, like I have a digital marketing agency and my clients are literally anywhere in the world. So I was using zoom way before, you know, coronavirus hit. Um, now I realize that so many people are using technologies like zoom and zoom itself 
to just like do anything like do you find that working online this way takes away a bit or is it actually easier for you to manage a bigger portfolio do you think you will stick to it for the smaller meetings maybe and then just go out for a few viewings or what do you think is going to happen after this crisis is over so so from where i'm at now i have not grabbed a new client online yet so so if you if you were to drop us back into how we were before i would go back to what i do which is i would meet them face to face first which is kind of mm -hmm. that initial point of contact i want them to like me and i want to like them and if that doesn't mm -hmm. happen then maybe it won't work so we do that first interaction now from that point on once we're kind of looking maybe a zoom call would be better for time but in our business the face to face it does it um, like the physical interaction is a good thing. Now I've been using things like e-signatures for a while. I think a lot of the older generation are now having to do it, but even up until six months ago, I'd say almost half the realtors are able to do uh, and use the e-signature e platform. So um, going forward, I would say um, that the initial contact will definitely be face-to-face -face, for me anyways. I don't think I would be able to leverage technology to try and uh, generate clients like they see me online they'll meet but they need to meet me they need to physically meet yeah. me at least for the business i'm in but i could see it changing for other industries for sure where it's like can we not streamline this i can do five meetings instead of one and i don't need to drive across the city to meet somebody right and and that said who knows in six months from now maybe people won't want to meet in coffee shops and if that's the case then we'll just have to adapt and we'll have to figure it out